Alexander Hamilton claimed Nevis in the British West Indies as his birthplace, although no surviving records substantiate this. Today, the tiny island seems little more than a colorful speck in the Caribbean, an exotic tourist hideaway. One million years ago, the land that is now Nevis Peak thrust up from the seafloor to form the island, and the extinct volcanic cone still intercepts the trade winds at an altitude of 3,200 feet, its jagged peak often obscured behind a thick swirl of clouds. This omnipresent mountain, looming over jungles, plunging gorges, and verdant foothills that sweep down to sandy beaches, made the island a natural fortress for the British. It abounded in both natural wonders and horrors. In 1690, the first capital, Jamestown, was swallowed whole by the sea during an earthquake and tidal wave. To modern eyes, Nevis may seem like a sleepy backwater to which Hamilton was confined before his momentous escape to St. Croix and North America— but if we adjust our vision to 18th century realities, we see that this West Indian setting was far from marginal, the crossroads of a bitter maritime rivalry among European powers vying for mastery of the lucrative sugar trade. A small revolution in consumer tastes had turned the Caribbean into prized acreage for growing sugarcane to sweeten the coffee, tea, and cocoa imbibed in fashionable European capitals. As a result, the small, scattered islands generated more wealth for Britain than all of her North American colonies combined. The West Indians vastly outweigh us of the northern colonies, Benjamin Franklin grumbled in the 1760s. After the French and Indian War, the British vacillated about whether to swap all of Canada for the island of Guadalupe. In the event, the French toasted their own diplomatic cunning in retaining the Sugar Island. The sudden popularity of sugar, dubbed white gold, engendered a brutal world of overnight fortunes in which slavery proved indispensable. Since indigenous Caribbeans and Europeans balked at toiling in the sweltering cane breaks, thousands of blacks were shipped from slave-trading forts in West Africa to cultivate Nevis and the neighboring islands. British authorities colonized Nevis with vagabonds, criminals, and other riffraff swept from the London streets to work as indentured servants or overseers. In 1727, the minister of a local Anglican church, aching for some glimmer of spirituality, regretted that the slaves were inclined to laziness, stealing, stubbornness, murmuring, treachery, lying, drunkenness, and the like but he reserved his most scathing strictures for a rowdy white populace composed of whole shiploads of pickpockets, whores, rogues, vagrants, thieves, sodomites, and other filth and cutthroats of society. Trapped in this beautiful but godless spot, the minister bemoaned that the British imports were not bad enough for the gallows and yet too bad to live among their virtuous countrymen at home. While other founding fathers were reared in tidy New England villages or cosseted on baronial Virginia estates, Hamilton grew up in a tropical hellhole of dissipated whites and fractious slaves, all framed by a backdrop of luxuriant natural beauty. On both his maternal and paternal sides, Hamilton's family clung to the insecure middle rung of West Indian life, squeezed between plantation aristocrats above and street rabble and unruly slaves below. Taunted as a bastard throughout his life, Hamilton was understandably reluctant to chat about his childhood. My birth is the subject of the most humiliating criticism, he wrote in one pained confession, and he turned his early family history into a taboo topic, alluded to in only a couple of cryptic letters. 
He described his maternal grandfather, the physician John Fawcett, as a French Huguenot who emigrated to the West Indies in consequence of the revocation of the Edict of Nantes and settled in the island of Nevis and there acquired a pretty fortune. Revoked in 1685 by Louis XIV, the Edict of Nantes had guaranteed religious toleration for French Protestants. I have been assured by persons who knew him that he was a man of letters and much of a gentleman. Born ten years after his grandfather's death, Hamilton may have embellished the sketch with a touch of gentility. In the slave-based economy, physicians often attended the auctions, checking the teeth of the human chattel and making them run, leap, and jump to test whatever strength remained after the grueling middle passage. No white in the Sugar Islands was entirely exempt from the pervasive taint of slavery.